Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Midnight Ramblings. I'm Jenny Silberstein, and I'm with my dear friend from Ladue Junior High, Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal. If you are joining us for the first time and you're wondering what this is all about, Carrie and I are two menopausal friends who can no longer sleep at night. So we decided that the best thing to do would be to create a podcast about what we and others think about when we can't sleep. So, as we like to say, let's get ready to ramble! (laughs) Yay! You got a little of the singing in. I love it. (laughs) Oh, our guest today is the brilliant Melanie Allen. Now, Melanie actually knew Jenny before me. These two were star ballet students together. I met Melanie when she transferred to our high school, where she and I spent many an extracurricular hour cheesing it up in show choir. Since those impressionable days, Melanie has remained a dear friend as she performed her way through NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Melanie is a lover of learning and seems to effortlessly tackle any subject in a single bound, unlike us mere mortals. To that end, she has fastidiously advanced her knowledge enrolling in a multitude of college courses over the years in the areas of history, music, science, anatomy, sign language, and she is eyeing French for the near future. I'm personally hoping that she'll go pre-med because I think she may have missed her calling. She volunteers her time for the Water Street Studio, a local community art center, and an organization called Fox Valley Food for Health that provides nutritious meals for families going through serious illness such as cancer. And no surprise, she is a member of the PTO at her children's school. Did I mention that she and her husband are raising three wonderful and gorgeous children, as well as a very sweet but wily canine? Please welcome to the podcast, our friend, the amazing Melanie Allen. Wow, that's so lovely. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Um, I'm very honored to be here with two old friends. So Jenny and I are very curious what you think about when you can't sleep. Well, the the hot flashes wake me up. (laughs) The burning that's pushing off the covers and, you know, wondering why it's like 400 degrees in my bedroom. Uh, and then, yeah, the mind starts to go. And um, a lot of times I think about health, my own health, women's health in general, having gone through um, some challenges myself, that does tend to weigh on the mind, uh, always in the recesses. And then, you know, when it's quiet and you're alone, they creep up to the front. So before we get started really with your ramblings, do you mind sharing with us what some of your challenges were just so we have a context for discussion yeah no that's fine in 2016 I'll start there um I wasn't feeling myself I knew something was off I was tired um lack of energy at the time you know three kids and everyone says well of course you're tired you have three little kids it's you know a given I'm like oh yeah you're right you know don't sleep well um I was having a lot of of gastrointestinal problems um feeling like kind of an upset stomach all the time but just didn't feel right and I went to my general practitioner and I went to um alternate types of medicine, chiropractors and acupuncturists, just trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I was never really satisfied with with the answer I got. 
Um, and it just seemed to be getting worse and worse. And as time progressed, I started to feel like a hardness in my lower abdomen. Like when I would be exercising and doing a plank, I could actually feel something like fall forward. Was just frustrated with it. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't something that happened all the time. Like I'd have good days and then I'd have bad days where I didn't feel good. So it wasn't consistent enough. And when I would go to like my general practitioner, you know, I'd say, I just don't feel good. Like I, she told me that, you know, I needed to drink more water and maybe do an elimination type of diet. I was like, I, I don't think that's it. So I was just kind of kind of at my wit's end with it and just feeling like nobody was really listening to me. One day, my husband was home. Um, I think it was, it was actually President's Day in 2017. <laughs> it was an unusually warm day here for Chicago. We were playing outside with the kids and um, out on the swing set. And he was like, well, let's go do something else. And I, I remember just standing there going like this. And I just, I, just a minute, I, I just don't feel good right now. And he was like, I am so sick of this. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, you have been to everybody. Nobody has an answer for this. He's like, we're going to the emergency room. And I was like, no, 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 it's not that bad, you know, it's, it'll, it'll pass, you know, it'll pass. And he's like, no, you've been doing for months. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. We're going right now. <laughs> and I felt really kind of silly. I was I'm like, I just have a, I have a tummy ache, you know, it's like not a big deal. He insisted and we went and I remember, you know, when they check you in, what's your problem? I'm like, I have a tummy, you know, I'm like, tummy hurt. You sound like a <laughs> tiny baby. Um, I, they ended up giving me a CT exam and I remember the emergency room doctor coming in right after and he like closed the door and he was like, you have a huge obstruction in your colon. It's um, quite large and you need to get that looked at right away. And I was like, what are you talking about? I got a colonoscopy within the next week. They were basically like, yeah, you have this huge tube cancer tumor in your colon that we can't mm -hmm. even get around it. And it needs to come out like right now. <laughs> you know, that was quite a shock because I didn't think, you never think something like that's going to be the answer. So like why you don't feel good. Through the years of this, I mean, I went through chemo. Um, then a year later, it metastasized to my liver. I had to have liver surgery and then went through chemo all over again. It made me start thinking about my body and maybe I didn't really know how it worked very well. You know, like you live with yourself and you think, oh, everything's supposed to work perfectly and, and great. And you trust that when you go to a health professional that they have your best interest at, at heart and they're listening to you. And I was starting to feel so frustrated with all of it and feeling like, how come I didn't know this? How come I never knew the signs? How come I was brushed off? you know, so many times with like my concerns. And I think as women, we tend to kind of suck it up. You know, we always put ourselves last, especially if you have a family or a career and other things that you're doing and you just think I'm going to get through it. I'll be fine. So we don't take care of ourselves as well as we should. And I have two other friends who do the same thing. Um, another friend of mine, she also didn't feel well. It turned out she had rectal colon cancer as well and it was the same type of thing and when I told her my story she almost was like maybe I, I should go you know press to get this looked at and same thing she had the same thing oh I had God. another friend who was having headaches for months and she was just told you know you're stressed out you need to drink more water tumors in her brain I mean like it's just kind of like that when something is consistent and you know it and it's almost like I feel sometimes women, and I'm not an expert, you know, everyone can do their own research. And she yeah. actually has done an enormous amount <laughs> of research. And by the way, knows every medical term known to oh. man. Yes. And can sit, pronounce them all even more than that. 
And so she's not an expert, but she's very smart. I appreciate that. Well, it came from suddenly I had to know, you know, what does my liver do exactly? And how did this happen? How did it move from my colon to my liver? Like all of these things. What I was, I was getting at is that, like I said, I don't have like this, the study in front of me, but I've read that like they've done studies between men and women going to their doctors and how women are given less time with their doctor with the same complaint and like almost like they're not taken as seriously either because their tendency that women are complaining about, you know, little things and men, when they come in with the same issues are given a little bit more like more weight to what they're saying. No one knows your body better than you. You live with it at 24 seven, it's yours. You know, every little nook and cranny. And when you know that something is off and you be your advocate, you've got to be the squeaky wheel. You've got to continue to look and research and going through menopause now, just to finding a gynecologist who was listening to me. Like, I felt like, you know, she was great when I was pregnant, but now on the, on the other end of the, <laughs> of the hormonal, you know, life, like right. she was like, she wasn't the right one for me anymore. So I had to find like a doctor who specialized in menopause and it's actually really hard to find. Yes. Um, there just aren't as many, because I just don't think there has been a lot of research and study and focus on women's health in particular. I had no idea that you had gone through that. So first of all, my heart is just like going out to you. You know, women, mothers are always kind of like taking the brunt of everything. And, you know, just how, what you're saying to really tune in and take that seriously, you know, for preventative care. You know, what for you has been the biggest learning and teaching you know, uh, uh, looking back now, is there anything you would have done differently or what do you feel like the biggest lesson was? I think the biggest lesson is not being intimidated by someone with a degree telling you how you should feel. They don't know you every day. Growing up, you know, like a doctor was like, well, you know, the pinnacle, like they're smart, they know everything, you know. I think the major lesson is that I found strength in knowing I have something wrong with me. And I, I'm going to research it as much as I can. And when they give me a bunch of, you know, jargon, I go home and I research all myself, you know, like I take a test and I go and I, I'm going to go figure it all out myself. And I think you have to, I think it's important for women to stand up for themselves and not feel like they're, that they're complaining, you know, like, I think that's the first thing that, you know, you go, I don't want to be, a, you know, I don't want to, you know, be a burden or, you know, I'm complaining. It's it's not a complaint. You know yourself better than anybody else does you. And so even the littlest of things are worth looking into. I also think it matters who you are because some people are hypochondriacs. I know, I know many of them. And I think some of those people are self-aware and understand that they are hypochondriacs, mm-hmm. but you knew you weren't because you are not and have never been, you've never been a complainer. Yeah. So when you feel sick, you know, you can take yourself seriously. And furthermore, and I, when you were diagnosed with cancer, she took charge. I, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, about how you did make your decisions and you did, you've really advocated for yourself. Well, that, that was a, a lot out of anger. Um, after the first diagnosis and going through and following what they, what I was told to do with, you know, going through chemo, having surgery and then going through chemo, following what Western medicine was. Then finding out like two months later after finishing chemo, oh, guess what? Now it's in your liver. I just felt very let down and I was so angry and so just so mad at the whole system that I wasn't, I wasn't 
aware that it could go anywhere else, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't ready for that. And I was so mad. And then I decided, well, your way doesn't work. Western medicine, chemo doesn't work because it came back. So, you know, screw you. And, and I had an opportunity with um, a, a friend of ours who was willing to take me on a journey of a more holistic approach, which I'm going to say was not easy. Um, so it, it was uh, basically a lot of juicing, living on and very, you know, um, clean eating, um, juice. Um, we had a friend who came and lived with us for about a week prior and she just put me on a strict diet so I basically whatever she put in front of me I was supposed to eat I didn't like a lot of it and sometimes I would make faces you know and I'd see my kids eating you know cheeseburgers and I'm like well this sucks (laughs) I've got you know this glass of green cookie juice to drink you know then when we went to Costa Rica um we did a lot of colonics basically like an edema you know, um, with different, um, either coffee or vinegar or whatever. And it was basically, the whole idea was to cleanse the body. So then you could cleanse the liver. So everything had to be like removed from like your waste, getting everything out of your colon basically. And then there was a cleansing of the liver, um, that took place. And I have to say, I, I, I think that that was the most traumatic part. Um, physically it was very hard, um, to go through that because the process is to remove any toxins that are left in your liver because your liver is basically, you know, it filters everything for you, but then it has toxins it doesn't know what to do with, you know, and this could be stuff left over from, you know, pharmaceuticals, from the air we breathe, from the foods we're eating. It's like stuff that the body doesn't know how to process. So the liver basically kind of holds it there and then it can get very backed up. So this is a process of cleansing the liver and... And that like, I would um, have to do these colonics with it. And the, the stuff that came out wasn't, I like, I believe it was like toxins that had been probably in my body for what, at this point, 47 years, you know, like that had just accumulated. I, I kept joking to myself, I'm like, if Keith Richards ever had to do this, like his body would be like, you know, in convulsion, <laughs> like how much, like my biggest vice is, you know, I, I drink wine, you know, like I, did, I was never a smoker and I never did any type of hard drugs or anything like that, you know, so I was like, what's in my, what's my liver holding on to? But, you know, there's toxins around us everywhere, you know, that we don't even know about. It was hard. I was like, remember shaking on the bed, you know, like afterwards, just feeling like, like that sense of like nausea and shaking and it's just, but I knew that it was all getting out, you know? So afterwards, I, you know, I felt really great. Like the cleanest, I guess, your body's ever felt in, from the day you were born, probably. But you don't know that, you know, because life goes on and things happen and you... And didn't the tumor shrink or something? They actually did. Yeah, that was the, that was the coolest part. So um, I was supposed to start chemotherapy, like on a certain day. The theory is that, well, there could be even smaller ones that aren't coming, showing up on x-rays yet. So the chemo will, you know, attack everything at once and will sh- the idea is to shrink what's there and then you take them out. I was supposed to start it and I had delayed it because I knew I was going to go do this Costa Rica kind of trip for like, I think it was like 12 days. And I didn't tell my oncologist that I was doing that, you know, because I knew that they would frown upon it. By the time I got back from Costa Rica, I was supposed to start and 
my son had an allergic reaction to tree nuts and he ended up in the emergency room. <laughs> so like I spent the night with him in the emergency room and like it, he was at the children's hospital and I was like, I can't come in, you know, for chemo today because I'm dealing with my son. You know, the whole thing had to be rescheduled and put back, pushed back a week. And in the meantime, my oncologist, she wanted to see me. So I went to see her and I, again, I come in with a huge chip on my shoulder because I'm still very angry. <laughs> and she's like, what have you been doing? Like, why do you keep rescheduling your chemo and, you know, all this stuff? And I said, well, I went to and did some holistic kind of treatment. And she was like, why did you do that? You know, she was very, like, angry with me. And I said, I said, well, I, I needed to try something else because I, I didn't like your approach. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't work. And I was mad and I wanted to try something else. And And she was like, well, you're just putting yourself in jeopardy and you've wasted all this time um, and your tumors are probably are, are larger and, you know, could be more. And I said, well, let's see. And she's like, no. And I said, no, I'm not going to start chemo unless you do another scan and we measure them and see where they are. And she's like, well, they're bigger. And I go, well, you don't know that. <laughs> she's like, well, I do know that because it's been now, you know, however many weeks since my last, I don't remember the, the timeline, but you know, a couple weeks. Um, and I said, I'm not going to start chemo unless you do another scan. So I said, I want to know where they are when we start and where they are when we finish. Don't you want to know for your own? So she agreed. We kind of like made a compromise. She's like, okay, I'll order another scan. If you promise them the following week, you come in fine. So we did get, I did get another scan and yes, the tumors had shrunk from going a more holistic approach. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I worked. Yes, but I don't know how sustainable that was like for me personally, because I was away from my family and I was, there were so many other stresses on me, you know, and a lot of when you're going through that is stress. I don't even know if what you did mattered as much as that when you were feeling the assault on your body from this disease, in some ways there's something about taking control, whether or not that is what cured you, I don't know. I, and not by the way, cured you. I think a, a combination of it all is what, where you've gotten to where you are today. But what I would say is that emotionally, and Jenny, you can speak to this, but I think the fact that you were empowered and you said, you know what, I'm pissed. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to try this out. And you don't tell me if I can't check out how big my tumor is. I'm going, I want to know how big my tumor is. Yes. You did that a lot. I mean, even when I would come visit you, you would, you would say, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking that. I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. And I, I think I know that I am a victim of that. If people, if a doctor tells me something, I'm pretty much like, okay, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. I just want to get it over with. And yeah. I just want to like get through it. And what I really admired about you is that you read, you researched, just the idea being that you knew what was right for you or felt what was right for you. And you had had enough of other people saying, this is what you should do. It's this, it's that, it isn't this, it isn't that. And you knew something was wrong with you originally and no one really took you seriously. And so you, since then, have really taken control of your own health. And I think that is really, I mean, it was funny because when we were sort of talking about this prior to the podcast, you were saying, what I think about in the middle of the night is women and their health. No, it is. And I, and I mean, cancer is something that touches everybody. Not, I mean, but yes, I, I think about health and then I think about women's health and I think about, 
how I want to how I want to empower my girls with their own health and going forward, you know, like they're, they're nine and 10 right now, you know, but you know, as they get older, things are going to happen to them. And I want them to have, I want them to feel empowered in knowing their bodies and have the knowledge of what's happening with their body and not be a victim of their body, but be in charge of their body. And they should know how it works. And they should know when something is off and when something's off that you have to, that, that they need to find a solution to it. You know, I think this is so underestimated uh, in, in our culture for women is just the, the deep knowledge of, of women's intuition and that, you know, mm. we know, we know when something's off. And oftentimes we kind of let things go and we don't listen to our intuition but our intuition is our greatest intelligence, really. And how can I use this, my greatest intelligence to guide this process? Because you knew like something's wrong, but this is why this podcast is so amazing is that you can be such a teacher, not only to your kids, but to other women who have gone through this. And I, and I think that Carrie, I agree with what you said that, you know, is it what you do or is it just that you're doing something and taking control of the situation? I mean, I watched this documentary a couple of years ago and you've probably seen it, that um, crazy, sexy cancer. No. Mm-mm. Oh, you should watch. And her name's Chris Carr. Mm-hmm. And now she has a whole thing on juicing and it's called crazy, sexy juicing and all this. Yeah. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. I think I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. No matter what, all, all the, healthy, positive energy you put into your body is, in my opinion, it's going to make a difference. And then there's a balance with Western medicine of like, okay, let me, like you said, compromise with the chemo. And, but I think this sense of taking control of your intuition and of the things that you know, to be true. Like I know so many women who stay in bad relationships for way too long, or they know that something's wrong with their body for way too long, because they don't want to know. It's kind of scary. Like it's kind of better to just like at the time to think like, okay, I, you know, I got to, you know, deal with my kids or, you know, I've got to clean the kitchen or I've got to do my work or whatever the distraction is, but you can't get away from it, you know? And so to stop and sort of unpack, like, what is this? And I think sometimes most of the time we're forced into it. Like your husband was like, we're going, you know? And like that, how do you, what do you say back to yourself now? Like, how do you sort of calm or quell those thoughts that may come up? Because it seems, did this journey help you feel more empowered or more sort of integrated in this situation? Or is there still a lot of fear or a lot of, uh, what should I do? Um, I don't, I can't live in fear. I mean, it's crippling. I can't, I won't let myself get there. If I, if I do, it's, it, I'm immobile, you know, like if you go, yeah. well, what if, and, and every little thing, yes, if you let your mind wonder, will turn into, you know, now I've got this, you know, like it can go there. What I try to focus on is I, I can't, I can't tackle the what ifs. I just have to deal with what I'm presented with. And I was presented with something really hard to deal with and I got through it and I educated myself and I, I feel smarter. I feel more in tune with myself. And I do feel validated that, you know, I was right. You know, not that I wanted to be right and go, oh, I was right. I had, you know, cancer, you know, gay for me. It wasn't that. It was just like, I knew something was wrong. And I was just so frustrated of not being heard 
And now, you know, when I go to any, you know, like for my gynecologist or whatever, I don't let them brush me out the door. I'm like, no, 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 this is still bothering me. There ha- we have to investigate something more. That's really the key here is that you are not afraid to educate yourself. I think when I would hear you, you would come home and you'd say, this is the kind of carcinoma I have. And it's about like, how does she even know those words? How does she pronounce those words? You knew all of these details. And I can remember thinking to myself, I would be too overwhelmed and intimidated to, I would almost have talked myself out of being able to learn that. Mm. I think we're all capable of it, but you have to really dig in. If that's the kind of person you are, I don't know that I am that kind of person. I might have my husband do that because I I literally get overwhelmed very easily. But what I admired so much about you is that you were like, I am going, it's like, let me, let me step back and give an example. One thing that's always impressed me about my husband is that if he wants to build something, he reads a book on how to build it and then he builds it. And I have never been like that. I, I thought like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, you know, but what you said was, why, why is the doctor the only one who can understand medical terms? Why is the doctor the only one who's supposed to understand my body better than me? I, I understand my body and I can research it and I can learn about it. And I'm going to trust the thing. I'm going to at least put some of the things I'm learning into that equation. You were like, I'm as smart as you. Yeah. And I, I, I really, you did. And I thought that was very... I don't know that I would have even allowed myself to think that way. So I guess that's really what I'm getting at. And how did you open your, like, were you afraid to, to get in there and learn all that stuff? Or did you just feel like, well, I can do this. I think a lot of it was spurred out of anger. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, don't, uh, and, and just mad at everybody, you know, don't use these big terms on me and like, you know, think I'm, I can't understand what you're talking about. You know, like you just, I, I just wanted, I wanted to be on the same page with them a little bit and you know, almost throw it back at them. Like, I know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how, um, maybe that's just my personality too. Like, I, I get angry. First I get, you know, distraught and, you know, like, you, you crumble. And then I get mad. And then I go, well, I'm going to fix it because now I'm mad and I have to fix it. So I wanted, to, you know, I wanted to learn myself so I could arm myself when I, you know, go to you know and I still I still you know tomorrow I have to go and get a scan again you know it's like it's it's never ending yeah Mm -hmm. like I feel well I think that you know anger you know I've seen women in situations where they they are told things or they are given a you know situation that they that angers them and what what I feel about that emotion is that it's one of the most motivating emotions like Mm -hmm. you can use it in a destructive way or you could use it in a, in a way that really gets you to inquire, like why, or to do something to change the situation. And I, and it just feels like, you know, here's this you know great doctor, like the wizard of Oz or something, and he's, you know, spouting out all these like technical terms and you're supposed to sort of just like be submissive and like, listen and, and, and kind of accept your sentence, let's say. And I think it's such a teaching for so many women who get sort of mad, you know, at that sentence. And and they're like, no. And because the one thing, I mean, when you're a mom, uh, uh, you know, you figure it out. Like, like you figure out, like, what are, how can I get around this? What can I do? I mean, you're out, 
you know, with your, your toddlers and one falls down and the other's like got a, you know, runny nose and the other's whatever. And then you're, you're like, okay, I got this. I got to, you know, and you're kind of like an octopus, right? So it's sort of the same way when you're given this sentence, you're like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Why are you telling this? I got to figure it out. Um, and, and you use your intelligence and, and there's this quote, a woman uses her intelligence to find reasons to support her intuition. Pisses me off. Why? Because, because think about that. Think about what you just said. You said, I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm mad at the fact that what you said is so true because okay. we have to use our intelligence to justify what we know. Right. We're not allowed to just know it. We're not allowed to just be intuitive. We have to justify it. We have to research it and prove. We have to get that CAT scan to say that, you know what? There's something dangling from my uterus, like, or whatever it is, from my colon. But it's up to us as women to, you know, step up and rise above that quote, you know, really, because yes, we live in a, a culture of hierarchy, you know, where we don't feel very knowledgeable sometimes or strong. And, and, and this whole culture is sort of like telling us what we should believe. And, but your intuition, that's what I always go back to with women who are kind of like all over the place and chaotic and they, they know, they know that there, that, that something doesn't add up here. And the question for all women is like, what is that? What is that that you know that you're afraid to really unpack and look at? Oh, I was just going to say, you didn't know what you were doing going to Costa Rica. And you, you feel like a little bit of a rebel, you know, going in there and going, well, I don't want to tell them I'm doing this. And then, and then you're like, no, I want to see the tumors. I want to show them to me. You know, we come from the show me state, right? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. You know, and so, and, then, and lo and behold, I mean, you claimed that for yourself by having that confrontation with the doctor. And from that point on, it sounds like you took control, you researched, you, you became really your own advocate. And I think that's what women need to do um, or, or people need to do. You know, and it's interesting. It may be different for different people. My mother, for example, she also had colon cancer and she, 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 but she is not someone to research. It made her comfortable to trust someone else. She wanted to go to the doctor, listen to the doctor. She wanted to get the surgery, get it done, be done with it. Mm-hmm. And I think each person is different. Some of us, like me, like to have control. And it's interesting as you were talking about, or we were talking about all of the language and the technical words. If you're doing anything else, you research, you try to learn it. But it's almost like medical terms is a foreign language and it allows us it's it allows them to have information that you don't have so it's like someone's talking to you and you don't understand it but you're like okay go cut me it, it is it is another language and once you know like some of the base and root words you can figure stuff out like that it is it's like it's like a code it's like a secret language a little bit it is yeah and once you know the, the more you know, lab reports I read, I'm like, oh, I recognize this. This means this. This means that. You know, you start to see similarities. And then um, the one thing I, maybe this is also something, you know, with your, with your mom and the same way, like with my mom, same age generation, culturally, the medical profession, mostly male driven, Mm -hmm. they know more than you do. And you just listen to them and you don't question them. Again, everyone's own personal choice. There's all, you have to do what you feel comfortable with. The bottom line is, and don't listen to anybody else. So don't listen to me, but make your decision. Yeah. You have to live with yourself. You have to make your own decision. You have to do what's best for you. And people will get in your ear all the time, you know, and 
even I find myself with my other friends who also had cancer. I didn't want to tell them, well, you need to do it this way. You know, I just would let them spat out and go, well, what I tried is this. Maybe it worked for you. Maybe it won't. Your decision to do. But I think the more choices we have, the better. You know, digging into sort of what is your comfort level and what, mm-hmm. and for Melanie, it was to step up and ask questions and inquire and not sort of, um, be as maybe trusting as other people would be where it would be, you work out great for them. I mean, listen, I, I have this one client who had a brain tumor and, um, you know, she had the most amazing oncologist and totally trusted him and that the, it shrunk and she's doing great. You know, so it's like, there's not one story you can, you can go with, but. Well, I think there's two parts to it. One is, to question it if it doesn't, like to to give yourself as much weight as you give other people's opinion of a particular circumstance. So for example, if the doctor's like, nothing's wrong with you and you feel like something's wrong, at least give yourself that much, you know, well, it's it's equally possible that I could know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you've got to give yourself- To validate yourself. And yeah. Develop, yeah. And then the other part is not to be- and and I have to say, this is something I, I really am. And, and that's maybe why I admire it so much in you, Melanie. I mean, when I go to the doctor, I am, I get nervous. I literally, like my heart starts to pound. I get nervous, not that something's wrong, but that like I'm taking too much of their time. And this is female or male doctor mm-hmm. alike. I get very, because I don't speak that language, because I am a hundred percent in the student seat. I'm not in the, I'm not, I, I am not the one with any information other than how I feel, which as you're pointing out is the information really. Right. right. Your body is the information, but I always go in there and feel apologetic and oh, I'm fine. And you know, it's just a little yeah, ache. Like and- you're, yeah. Like you're taking up their time and you don't deserve their a hundred percent attention to acknowledge what it is that you're feeling. Yeah. For you, once you knew what it was, like, can you go back to that moment where you were told what it was, like what what went through your mind and how that shifted sort of the trajectory of your life? Do you remember it? Well, I remember, well, the first, the first one with, you know, the colon cancer, you know, waking up from a colonoscopy where it was kind of chaotic. I don't know if, like I just remember coming out of like the you know haze of waking up and the doctor rushing in and going you have cancer and I was like what are you talking about what you know like it was his bedside manner wasn't the best I'm gonna just say I don't know it's like one of the first times like he was like I found what I don't know but like um just kind of shock and then I was like colon cancer I'm like first I'm like that's like old man cancer like you know (laughs) like what what kind of you know what happened to like breast like that's and then when you say that everyone assumes as a female they're like oh you have breast cancer I'm like no I have like colon cancer (laughs) like you know yeah but yeah I I, that first time was super super shocked just you know and I like I said it was kind of two-part like that was first and we knew we had to get in there and get take it out immediately um because it was like you know your colon's like a tube like a straw you know like stuff goes through it and mine was closed up so much it was like like a cocktail straw and they're like it's it's gonna close up and then there's you then you'll have like impacted weight like then it could burst and you have a whole bigger problem you know so they're like we want to get in there and cut it out right away um 
and then, you know, I kind of was, it was kind of swept up in it. And I just did exactly what that was told immediately into surgery, go home, you know, start chemo, blah, blah, you know, blah, followed all of that. Um, and then it was the second one that I really got angry because like I said, I thought, I thought I did everything I was supposed to. I followed the rules. I did it. And then a month later, they're like, oh yeah, now you'd be finding tumors in your liver. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> no. What, how did that happen? And I just want to point one other thing out that is, I, I think, incredibly telling was that, you know, Melanie and I maybe talked every three months, and I hope it's okay that I'm telling this story. Maybe four months, maybe it had been six months. I don't know. It had been a while. And I texted her and I'm like, hey, what's up? And she writes back, I'm at my daughter's piano recital. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's catch up soon. She goes, and I said, um, I hope you're well. And she said, well, by the way, I mean, she's at a piano recital and I get a text that says, I have colon cancer. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm in my car. I just asked how my friend was and wait, what? And the thing that was so telling to me was how matter of fact you were, how without any fanfare or, I mean, you were, it was like, um, I'm at my daughter's piano recital. I have to pick up some dinner and um, I have colon cancer. It was as, as a matter of fact as that. Um, but I remember thinking, okay, wait a minute, something's off here. Like we need to take a big pause. Like it was as if you didn't even have enough time in your day to stop, or maybe you didn't want to stop. And I just wanted you to sort of speak to that because I found it incredibly, I, I, I wrote back, I'm like, what did you just say to me? <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. And I do remember sitting there going, do you, how do I say this? And then, you know, do I say it? And then I was like, well, it's, it's just the facts you know, and I'm just going to have to deal with it. So this is it. So I just, you know, texted it. And, oh, by the way. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm going to be busy, <laughs> I have to go you know, all this stuff. When you're a mother and you have small kids and you're busy, like, it's kind of like, now this is just another thing I got to deal with today. You know, like I got to, I got to deal with that. And, and it was, it was a scheduling thing, you know, like I got to make sure, you know, I, I do it on these days because I know the kids are at school all day or whatever. And I, you know, like it was completely like I had to schedule all treatments around when I knew, you know, because, you know, afterwards you don't feel so great, you know. So I would try to schedule it so I would have like a day like off, you know, but the kids are still at school and I could relax or, you know, not feel stressed with them and then have the weekends free to be able to do stuff with my family, you know. So even though I was taking care of myself, I was still thinking of, you know, how can I fit this into our life schedule so I'm not missing out. And, you know, I mean, it's scary for kids too. I didn't want them to see. Again, it was just like one of those things, like just, I guess, taking it head on. Like as you sit here now and, and like other women are going to get the shock, you know, and, and one day or whatever, and they're, you know, going to mm -hmm. go through something similar. As you sit where you are, just having that intelligence that you have with you know, what does it look like now for you? Um, and what could, what could you sort of say to other women that maybe just got something similar? Oh gosh. Um, I guess the hardest thing is accepting that it's there. And I think some of it, Carrie, when I texted you was like, if I had to like say it and had to like spell out the word cancer, you know, myself and like, then I kind of took ownership of it. Cause it's yeah. always been this like scary thing out there. You know, you don't, you hear about people having cancer or you, and you know, it's not going to happen to me, you know, but I think that was a way of, I think you're one of the first people I told outside of my family too, of like, this is now my reality. And the sooner I accept it, 
the better off I can get through it. So, I mean, it's, it's, of course you're going to go through, like your emotions are like this, like on a daily basis, you know, especially in the very beginning, because it's such a shock to be told that you have, you know, something that potentially deadly, you know, and what can you do to stop it? And what can you do to take control of your life at that time? And for anyone who is facing something that is devastating, you know, it, it sucks. There's no pretty way to say it. Um, chemo doesn't feel good. Uh, it, it has, you know, long lasting repercussions, but through all those dark days, like, you know, I think part of it was taking ownership of myself. Like the first round, like it was my journey. And I went, I went to chemo every time I got dressed up like this. Like I did my hair and my makeup and I walked in there, like, I'm not going to be defeated by this. I'm bringing my best foot forward. I'm dressing up, you know, and like the nurses, they were, I was like, oh my gosh, where'd you get those shoes? And oh, you know, and I was like, I'm coming in here, like I'm going to tackle it. Not like I'm defeated by it, you know? And I have to just (laughs) add that she had, I'm talking sparkly shoes, sparkly nail polish. She had manicures. I mean, I I watched her and I was like, oh my God, you look so much better than me, like than I ever do. Yeah, Yeah. unbelievable. I think it's just such a statement to yourself and to the world that I'm here to take care of business and I'm going to dress up and and I'm going to look good and I'm going to feel good and I'm going to, you know, be all about, you know, tackling this thing like a businesswoman, you know, and yeah. And that is, I mean, and that's kind of how, you know, I do that for myself. Like when I feel like I I look good, I feel more accomplished anyway. You know, like I took the time to put some energy into my appearance and I'm now ready to take on whatever is on the schedule for today. So I really did take that approach with going to chemo of like, I mean, I even made it a shopping spree because, you know, with the pump, you had to have easy access, you know, so I was like, I'm going to go get myself some cute little cardigans because that's easier, you know, for the nurses to access the port. And, you know, so I was like, if I'm going to have to do this, I might as well get some cute clothes to wear that are easy, you know, for the nurses. And I just think you hit it on the head um, when you talked about acceptance, because once I think a woman or anyone really accepts, all right, this is the situation. This is what I have to do. And now, you know, like the universe just kind of like backs you up and just says, let's get all of these things in a row. And, and, and you took charge and you just used your greatest skills as, as a mother and as an intelligent woman, um, with all of this knowledge to kind of show up for the event of the chemotherapy and for the event of cancer that just happened to fall in your lap fall into anyone's lap at any time Mm -hmm. and the question is how are you going to react to this you know you showed up you showed up not only you know dressed up with makeup on and sparkly shoes but with a sparkly attitude that I've got this and I'm gonna you know you use that intelligence to unpack it and figure it out as if it were you know you were faced with this for one of your kids. I mean, you, you, you took ownership. And I think that that is just the biggest lesson today is taking ownership. Um, and not being intimidated 
to take, too afraid to take ownership. Right. You really have to be able to say, I can do this, even though I'm scared. And well, you know, it's funny that I just, I wanted, while you were talking before, I wanted to say this because based on what Jenny was saying, you know, I have this therapist and she has said many times to me, it's true. What's true is that you would strongly prefer that XYZ didn't happen. But what do you get? It, it's sort of what Jenny was saying. You know, you would, of course, you don't want to get that phone call. Of course, you know, you don't like when XYZ happens in your relationships, whatever the thing may be. Of course, you may not like when you get your period and you're crampy and you're having PMS or you're having hot flashes when you're menopausal. I mean, that is the truth. No one's asking us to like these things. The thing is, what, what, how are you going to get through life with those things in a health, the healthiest way you can? And I think, Melanie, you've really explained how you got through it. And my mom got through it in a very different way. You know, and it's not like you're a bad person if you don't want to attack these things or learn about them. But for those who find strength in that, it's the right way to go. I don't want to tell anyone what they have should or shouldn't do. I mean, it's everyone's journey should be their own. And you get to where you need to be, Mm -hmm. you know, on your own path. So, you know, for me, I needed to kind of elbow my way into the driver's seat a little bit instead of being the passenger. You know, I was like, no, we're taking a right turn here. You know, I was reading the map or, you know, I just had to be a little bit more involved rather than um, just alone for the ride, I guess. And I think that that's really important and telling. And want to say, it's just been another really amazing podcast. And I'm just so happy that Melanie, you decided to come on and tell this story it's just so amazing not seeing you for so many years and seeing that same spirit that I saw when you danced and just how the, the sparkle, I just want to say that you brought to, to dancing and to just um, that same energy I see now. Yes. To trust your intuition, whether your intuition is to trust your doctor or to trust yourself. I mean, it really is. Right. Trust you first. Trust you yeah. and you trust your doctor you know, go with that. And, yeah. and, and if you want to question your doctor, I think that the, 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 what you described when you challenged the doctor about the tumor, you know, and she was like, it's grown. And you're like, well, let's check that for me was such a powerful moment in, in your story because you were really challenging, like, you know, Western medicine or, or just the, just this yeah. construct, this construct. Well, just- and the arrogance of a doctor don't, and I believe me, I couldn't be a doctor. I respect doctors, but there is a certain kind of arrogance. Like I know because each body is different. People are different. Bodies react differently to everything, you know? Right. 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 And there is, there is a battle between Western and Eastern, like, medicine and philosophy, too. Like, they both don't like each other. And I was hoping that there would be a little bit more of, you know, work-together approach, you know? Obviously, you know, you need to have, you know, Western medicine if you're going into surgery. I, I definitely want the best drugs then. I, I don't want to, you know, like, suck it up. We're going to cut you open. Up. But knock me out. I totally, you know, trust you for that. But at the same time don't discredit the other side. I think there's a better union would have been nicer. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that they have not figured that out yet. And I yeah. think right, it's so hard to find, like you said, a doctor that deals with menopause or some, or a, a blending of the Eastern and Western medicine. I think there's a few doctors who try to really make that their life's work. And I know in LA there's, you can find some, yeah. but I think it's a really difficult challenge. I don't know if you've ever seen or read the Pulitzer prize winning Clay Witt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it just, you know, it was just reminded me of this conversation today. Um, and at the end of her life um, in the play, the most important thing was not all the doctors that were giving her chemo and wanted to go full throttle ahead with that, but the nurse who brought her a popsicle, you know? And, you know, at the end of the day, we all want just basic love and kindness and compassion. I think, you know, I have another friend who went through chemo and she, the nurses were her lifeline. They really oh, were. Absolutely. I mean, the, I think, and again, maybe the reason why 90% of nurses are female is because they do understand, they almost probably use their own intuition a lot of times. Yeah, the nurses are always like the heroes to me. They, they were the ones administering. They're the ones checking. How are you feeling? You know, you know, really getting to know you. Uh, a good combination of, you know, if you think of your intuition and your intelligence kind of combining together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. And then there are also those special doctors. I know that when my mom was recently at a doctor's appointment, there was this doctor and she really got it. You know, she's brilliant but she also just sat there and was like drawing pictures and really investing my mom in understanding what was going on. And me too, cause I was there. And I mean, I think there are those people who have gifts in that way. Dr. Oh, I mean, my, my dad is one of those people. I mean, yeah. he, he just, you know, he's been doing what he's been doing as a pediatric radiologist for so many years. And he has the most unbelievable bedside manner. He'll take yeah. however much time anybody needs. And he knows that when he's telling someone what a diagnosis is, what the breadth of that is for that family. But to know behind that is a human being. And it's not just another cancer patient or another, you know, tumor. It's, it's uh, you know, your life. It's your tumor. And that's different. Well, yeah. it's also the thing I was going to say, though, I must have to, I just have to defend doctors too, because I have to say, if I were a doctor and I had to give people diagnoses all day, I think I'd be hard as nails. I feel, well, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a doctor, but you know, I, I could, it would be hard to be emotionally invested in each and every case. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is for their own sanity. Yeah. They have to probably put on that facade and maybe when they go home, they're just like, that sucked. Yeah. That <laughs> just suck. It has to yeah, suck. I, on all sides. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a side note, I had to tell you, Jenny, I when your I remember your dad once we were we went um so I had a little crush on him because he was so kind and I loved his accent. <laughs> and I remember one time, so we were at a like wet willies. Remember wet willies? Oh god, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> so, I think we had like the, all the ballet girls or something. We had gone to Brett Willie's and we had made a train going down the slide, like what you're not supposed to do. And somehow I ended up in the front. And as everyone came down, I got pushed under, long story short, like somebody's foot or something banged into my mouth and I split up in my lip pretty bad. I think I remember vaguely. I remember. And I rem we were spending the night at your house and your dad, like, you know, he was like, like, he took care of it and he cleaned it and all this stuff. And I just remember he was so sweet. And I, 
then I had a total crush on it. <laughs> I know, you know what? That is my dad. My dad is like the one that will always, he, he still to this day. I mean, he, he just yeah. makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. Yes. Yes. That's the most amazing. I mean, and no matter what the situation it's all, he's like so calm. It's all going to be okay. He's compassionate, whatever. I'm, I, it, it's a, it is a gift. And I, I think that, you know, and thank you for that story. Well, thank from Dr. Me. Silverstein to the hot flash round, I can't think of a more seamless transition. I really can't. I just think we've got to go there. Okay. You ready, Mel Mel? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Which best describes your approach to aging? A, let nature take its course. B, color inject or cut me open as is necessary. Or C, all of the above. I'm a little A, a little B. I mean, so would be C. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll do extreme measures, but maintenance along the way, absolutely. And if I can handle it, I'll do it. You know, I have thought about a little, you know, here, mm -hmm. whatever, but yes. <laughs> I gotcha. All right, which do you prefer, puberty or menopause? Oh, God. Uh, well, I guess puberty. Cause I Me think too. I, I You're think the only I, one. I'm the only one. I think, I think I would, I think I would, knowing now, if I could go through puberty now, knowing that, that I'm allowed to make decisions for my body, I think I would be okay with it. You know, it wasn't easy for me. You know, I, you know, a lot of lady issues, you know, like heavy periods and stuff like that. But now I think I would research it and go, okay, this is why this is happening. And so I'd like a do-over on that. Yeah. <laughs> a do-over on do-over on puberty. <laughs> Um, okay, pick one. Screens or no screens? No screens. What is the best thing for you about insomnia? Well, I can make my list of what I need to do tomorrow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's about it. What is the worst thing about it? Uh, yeah, listening to my husband snoring. <laughs> that's the best answer I've ever heard of. Everyone's always like, I'm afraid I won't be able to function the next day. That is a great answer. That is awesome. What is the best or worst thing about having kids? Oh, the best thing is just seeing the world through their eyes again and watching them discover something or how their personalities develop. And, you know, I, yeah, they're my kids at, at this age. They're really fun. They're 12, 10, and almost nine. And they're, they're really at a fun age. I like watching them um, becoming like person, like people, you know, and I like them. They're, they're yeah. fun to hang out with, you know. Yeah. They find me a bit annoying, but I, I think they're really a lot of fun. <laughs> well, speaking of that, you guys, I came up with a new question. I'm very excited about it because, oh. okay, ready? You're the first. This is the, the beginning of Premier. this question. What is the most annoying uh, annoying thing that other parents do. Oh boy. Oh, uh, I think not set limits for their kids. And I don't mean like limits, like, oh, screen time or something like that, but just, um, kind of like how to interact with other people, mm -hmm. you know, like the interrupting. I find a lot of kids like interrupt adults, you know, mm -hmm. and Mom I, <laughs> I, you know, we were if I interrupted my parents when they were speaking to another adult I mean the you know that was that was very rude and not accepted and so I that's one thing that I have since I said you know if I'm speaking you need to wait your turn it's not you know so maybe that kind of limit 
Okay, but, I like that. Um, I don't know. What has been the most surprising thing about being middle-aged? That I like myself. I thought, you know, when you're younger and you think, oh, when you hit like 40 or, you know, now 50, you know, that was so old. But I like myself. I, I'm, I'm smart. I've had life experiences. I'm a great conversationalist at parties. You know, like I, I feel, <laughs> I finally, finally, I think feel secure in who I am. You know, I'm not, you know, I like the way, you know, my style, you know, like I just have kind of finally come to a place of this is me. And if you don't like it, well, move along. This is what and I'm you doing. You sparkle. You and I sparkle. I love to wear anything sparkle. Yeah, I mean, sparkle you know? is the word. That's the yeah. word of the day, I think. Um, <laughs> what is the best thing about being middle-aged? Well, again, I think that same thing. You, you, you have experience and you have wisdom that maybe you don't even know you have until you're confronted with a situation and you, you, you're able to bring that out. You have the experience and the wisdom. And I'm going to toss this out to you, and I sure hope you hit it out of the ballpark. Are you ready? If you had to pick one word, a cuss word or otherwise, to describe middle age, what would it be? (laughs) Boy, did I ruin that one. (laughs) Jazz hands? (laughs) Sparkle? Yes! Whatever whatever you do, do it with sparkle. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That fits. I think that's perfect. Thank you so much, Melanie, for joining us. Um, Jenny and I are so grateful to have had you, and I know this conversation will be really meaningful to our listeners. Uh, To our audience, if you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe. To learn what we're all about, please visit us at themidnightramblings.com, where you too can become a fansomniac. And of course, be sure to tell your friends because your support is necessary to make this thing take off. So for The Midnight Ramblings, this is Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal and Jenny Silberstein. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next week.